Welcome to Trending in Education. Mike Palmer here. Really excited today to be rejoined for his third appearance by Dr. Andrew Tempty, who I may refer to occasionally as Andy. Andy, welcome to Trending in Education. Yes, please call me Andy. You can call me Andrew, but never late for dinner. I'm a fan of that line. I'm also a fan of your books. We'll include information about all the things that Andy has going on in the show notes. Your first book you were on to talk about, Balancing Act, and that has led naturally to this next book, which is The Balanced Business, Building Organizational Trust and Accountability Through Smooth Workflows. I like saying smooth. I like being smooth, and I'm happy you included it in the title. Welcome back. Congratulations on your refrigerator magnet. What have you been up to? I can't wait to get my refrigerator magnet. But yeah, the balanced business comes out on October 3rd. We're obviously recording this prior to the book's release. I've been having loads of fun podcasting, writing my weekly muse or my weekly blog. And you know this, that podcast is a great way to reconnect with colleagues, to keep your network going, and to create a public good that everybody can learn from. So I'm proud of you and the work that you've been doing. Mm. And you told me before the show that this is your eighth season of trending in education. Yeah. So congratulations yeah. on that. On that. Thanks. And congratulations to you on Balancing Acts. Your podcast, same name as your first book, is now past its 100th episode, which is also amazing because I, I completely agree where it is a way to deepen relationships and it's a very authentic way to do it and it's also very win-win if you do it right win-win-win if you count the listeners right and then your book is nice in that you're kind of building on what was in balancing act can you catch folks up we'll include links to both books you know the new one that's coming out balanced business and then the one that we talked about in our previous conversation balancing act can you set up for folks, you know, what you were trying to do with this book and maybe how it builds on what you're doing with the first book? Yeah. So the first book, Balancing Act, was kind of half business book and half autobiography. So telling personal stories with a purpose to ultimately teach, coach, mentor, and inspire. That's my purpose in this world. Just to jump in real quick, we're both from... Kaplan and test prep background. So there is a tendency to come up with initialisms and rubrics. So like teach, coach, mentor, and inspire was in your first book and you're tying through bringing some of that forward in, in the next book. But there is a lot of folks who like frameworks and mental models. There's quite a bit of that really throughout what you've been doing. And it's something that I've always gravitated to. And I, I did enjoy that part of the book. Yeah. So the second book continues, the arc of the first book ended with the balancing act between organizational trust. We all want to get along. We all want to believe and trust that our coworkers are going to do right by us and we're going to do right by them with an eye toward building customer value. And at the same time, we've got to get stuff done. Right. And so there's the kind of white space that I'm trying to fill with the second book is there's a lot going on in the organizational trust employee engagement space. And it seems a bit divorced from the other side of the equation, which is 
we've got to get things done. We have to support the stakeholders of the business, which are ultimately the shareholders, but also the employees and the environment or uh, social responsibility, et cetera. So we've got to deliver on our brand promise. And yes, we all want to get along and support each other. How do we do that? How do we balance those two things? And the second book is an operating system that I've developed that will help leaders of a lot of different variety and sizes of businesses to get that balancing act right. Yeah. It reminds me of the old Cold War adage, trust but verify, right? Like you build (laughs) that trust, but you still have to have some accountability at the end of the day. Kind of the notion of tough love too, the idea that there is an element of you know, being real about outcomes and being real about holding yourself accountable first and then building a culture of accountability is very much something that comes through in the book. There's also this notion of an accidental manager. Can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah. So I'm an accidental manager. I grew up in the finance department at the University of Iowa wanting to be a finance professor someday. I had no idea that I was going to be leading people throughout yeah. most of my career. You know, you, you mentioned before, you and I have long histories with Kaplan. Kaplan bought our, our business back in 1999. Right. And all of the sudden, I'm managing teams of people. And I'm not, I wasn't trained in leadership and management. And frankly, very few of us are. We get our initial credentials, our initial work experiences Mm -hmm. in some technical, typically some technical field, accounting, medical care, kind of you name it. Those are more technical jobs. But then, well, all of a sudden we get tapped on the shoulder for doing a great job. And, uh, hey, Mike, would you like to manage 10 people? Yeah, it usually begins with, I like the cut of your jib. Just... Just put that out there. And our listeners are going, scratching their heads going, what the hell did he just... But it is true. Like, it is kind of intangible. You know, once you're seen as management material, your career can change. But until someone takes a chance on you, until someone sees something in you, I I think you've talked about the light in someone's eyes. You just got to know that if you put somebody in this position, they'll be able to succeed. And then also to do it well, you're building that culture of trust and accountability so that they're supported in that exercise. But I would agree with you. You know, I wound up in management, rose to pretty senior ranks. Eventually it became a management track, I guess, but it wasn't the initial intent to rise the corporate ladder. Yeah, in very, very large organizations, there are well-established management training programs that folks go through. But if we're real about the corporate environment, there are thousands and thousands and thousands of companies out there that aren't big organizations that don't necessarily have the resources to have large management training programs as part of their operating system. So many of us get thrown into positions of management and all of a sudden, we're faking it until we make it and faking it, yeah. kind of fumbling your way through with 
people's lives under your charge. These are real people with mortgages and car payments and mm -hmm. children, et cetera. And you're faking it until you make it as a leader. No, that's not yeah. something that we should be encouraging. So this book, The Balanced Business, is a how-to guide for yeah. those of us that got thrust into positions of leadership and management who yeah. need that support and education to get up to speed. Because otherwise, we become firefighters, we become hall monitors for our teams, and that rarely ends well. It reminds me a little bit of you're just kind of beamed into a situation, which, you know, to me reminds me a little bit of the accidental part where it's like, oh, imposter syndrome, suddenly I'm in charge. Right. And it did seem like whether you're leading or you're, you're in kind of like a senior role in an organization and you're just expected to know how to do things, but frequently it's unclear. You don't know what you don't know. And the operating system, it's invisible unless you're really paying attention to it. But there is a way in which organizations can get effective and can communicate and can actually operate. Can you talk about the management operating system? Because that's a pretty foundational to what's in the new book. Yeah. So the book is uh, really split into two parts. The first half of the book is focused on the strategic aspects of the management operating system. And the second half of the book is much more tactical in terms of the tools that must be put into place. I like to talk about this book as these are all the things that you have to have installed, you must have installed in your operating system and none of the stuff that you don't. So this is a framework around which you will create a unique business model that is customized to you and customized to your specific needs of your customer. So in the strategic, the first half of the book, we start with purpose. Everything starts with purpose. Why are we here? Why do we exist? And answering some of these fundamental questions the next step is vision. Where are we going? Mm -hmm. And, you know, the, these things sound super simple on the surface, but I guarantee you that if you sit down with your senior team and you ask the question, why do we exist? Three hours later, you're still talking about it. It's nice in that it's all the things you should be doing, you know, and people tend to cut corners. Folks talk a lot about technical debt, but I think there's also operational debt and almost like strategic debt Yes, where you can still deliver to your stakeholders, to your shareholders, to your bottom line. You can do a lot of those things without actually putting pen to paper to say, this is who we are. This is what we believe in. This is what we're trying to accomplish. And then also, and here's how we're going to do it and here's how we will operate. And that's where I think it is a real service that you're doing to folks who haven't had the benefit of your experience to be able to pick up right from where you left off to some extent. What have you learned over that period of time? Put it to paper. And then it's a how-to. Like I was thinking that's the type of thing that you could easily refer to if you needed to kind of brush up on some components because it felt like if you do everything in this book, you're at least delivering meaningfully on the execution side of your mission and your vision. 
whether that's right and whether you're ultimately delivering the financial results that you need, that, that's a separate question, but it does feel like there's a pretty clear how-to outlined for folks in here. So I've got an old iPhone 13 in my hand, right? And yeah. if you and I both bought an iPhone 15 Pro today, it's exactly the same when it's inside the box. And there's an operating system that is installed on that phone that allows for a whole universe of diversity and uniqueness. Once we start setting that up, it becomes yours. Well, the same thing really must happen in a business. You must have the foundation upon which you are going to build the differentiated experience for your customers. And right. what I'm delivering here is 35 years of experience all in one package. What I'm saying yeah. to leaders, to managers, is every chapter in this book is something that you have to be thinking about every day when running your business. So there's nothing yeah. here that you don't need. And you're going to, just like that 15 Pro, you're going to add all sorts of applications into your business right. to make it unique for that unique customer experience. But if there wasn't a rock-solid operating system in place, all that uniqueness and all that differentiation is going to ultimately fall apart. And, you know, applications won't work with each other, meaning teams won't effectively work with each other. And ultimately, the customer gets the short end of the stick. Yeah, it does make me think a lot about the future of work. It's a topic that comes up a lot on this podcast. I know it comes up also on Balancing Act, your podcast. Right. Surprisingly disruptive would be how I would describe the recent technology innovation that we've seen, particularly around artificial intelligence. And when you think about job designs that are being transformed in interesting ways, how do you future-proof yourself? How do you stay relevant and also stay out ahead of some of these disruptive waves? I know you've also talked a lot about, you know, skills revolutions that are happening out there. I'd love to get a little bit of your thinking on the level to which there is disruption out in the world today and any suggestions, thoughts, recommendations for folks who are trying to navigate some of that complexity. One of the things that makes this book unique is that in the first half of the book, in the strategy part of the book, chapter five is a chapter, it's called Death, Taxes, and Change. What are the three yeah. certainties in life? Death, then taxes, and what yeah. I'm adding in there is change. So change is happening to your business all day, every day. And if you don't have a plan, for navigating change, and most importantly, helping your people navigate through change, yeah. you are going to get stuck in the mud. Entropy, which is the laws of thermodynamics say that everything is ultimately going to fall apart. Well, entropy yeah. is coming for your business. If you don't manage change, chaos will reign. And I see far too many yeah. businesses where there aren't smooth handoffs. People don't know how product gets from idea out to customer. So 
having a plan right. for change. And then the next chapter, chapter six, is also very purposefully positioned, which is what's your plan for learning, education, and coaching? These are ingredients that a lot of leaders think, oh, well, change will just take care of itself and people can learn on their own time. Well, right. that is a false narrative now. So you're talking yeah. about future-proofing your business. If you want to future-proof your business, have a plan for change. How are you going to navigate it? And make sure that learning and coaching is at the forefront and something you're investing in for the future of your business and not something that you just expect everybody to keep up on the latest trends. Because let me tell you, everybody in your company is just treading water right now. And if you don't make the time for learning and coaching in the flow of business, expecting people yes. to learn on their own is just not going to happen. Absolutely. And as a parent of a four-year-old, let me say, I do understand when you talk about entropy. I guess it's easy to take for granted when you grew up in a learning culture where yeah. Kaplan very much was a place where the products and services were learning related and you were just expected to learn things. A test would change and suddenly everyone would have to learn the new test and it's just kind of like baked into the culture. But it's easy to forget that folks may not treat that as almost like a first principle of your culture that, you know, we're hiring people who are curious, we're hiring people who are constantly learning new things. And it, you know, especially in this day and age, if you're not coming at things with that flexibility and that adaptability, you know, the, the folks who are more rigid in their boundaries, and this is how I do my work, those are the ones who are, are really going to face some challenges as more and more automation comes into play and more and more technology starts to weave into the mix. You and I have talked about skills disruption, and I know it's something that you think about a lot. It's also something that you wrote about in the book. How do you think about that? You know, because when you're talking about building a learning culture, and lots of times it's in service of developing new skills and building a culture where there's transparency around the skills that need to develop and then, you know, where you kind of go from there. Can you share some of your thinking about how the skills revolution relates to the conversation? If your listeners get one thing from this conversation is that learning budgets in corporations have historically been treated as nice-to-haves, as mm -hmm. discretionary elements of the budgeting process. And mm -hmm. learning budgets are some of the first to get cut when yeah. the going gets tough. And my message in this book is learning budgets can no longer be considered discretionary because... Mm -hmm change is happening at such a rapid pace because artificial intelligence and NLP models, uh, LLMs, etc., are disrupting large swaths of our jobs. What do we have to bring to the world of work then but our human selves and our talents yeah. that are much more tilted toward creativity curiosity, you know, things that computers can't really do right now, working together in teams and with other humans. Yeah. And that is continual 
learning and skill development. And it doesn't happen after hours. It doesn't happen outside of the flow of work. Learning and development needs to be woven into the flow of your operations. It is a normal cost of doing business. And, you know, mm -hmm. your business's individual skill needs are determined by you and your team. But if you're a business leader and you're listening to this and you don't know what your current skill gaps are, if you haven't measured right. the top skills of the future in your business and if you're not investing toward those, that's a huge, huge issue that needs to be rectified. Because, Mike, what do we know? It costs a lot to hire new talent. We have a job market which is demographically going to be challenged for decades. I'm aging out and there aren't enough new employees that are coming in the backside to backfill. Yeah. I'm raising my four-year-old as fast as I can. <laughs> well, they're going to have to be a vice president of sales by the time they're 13 to make the equation work. So the whole point is yeah. learning and development is a foundational element of your business. And if you yeah. still think it's a nice to have, you're going to be left behind. You know, it's really interesting. It reminds me of a conversation I was having with Kumar Garg at Schmidt Futures, and he was talking about how much the Department of Defense spends on R&D. And if only the Department of Education spent as much on research and development. It is interesting how folks don't always make the connection between R&D and L&D, but it's almost like you need to be allocating some percent of your budget to R&D, and then there's a related spend there that is when the technology is getting better, when you're using new media, when you're doing whatever is the new hotness, I like to say, your human factors need to be caught up, bought in, in some sense, leading the charge for your innovation to be successful. Yeah, the old model is or was that when I have a change in skill need in my business, I fire the people who don't have those skills anymore, and I go out yeah. into the open market and I hire new people. Well, uh, as I mentioned before, that's really, really costly. It's damaging to your culture and to engagement. And contrary to what a lot of people think, folks want to learn. They want to grow. They want yeah. to be developed into the next best version of themselves. And that is now your obligation as an employer to yes. partner with your people to help them at an individual level, see the skills gaps that exist in your organization and put a plan in place for building that skill within your existing talent pools to create the next best version of the business that's ultimately going to create great value for your customer. I agree. You know, learning is intrinsically motivating is another element to this where like you don't necessarily need to learn in service of whatever outcomes you're going to get on the other side of learning, just developing new skills, the feeling of self-efficacy that comes with just staying relevant and staying on top of what's emerging is something that can become very foundational to your culture. We're getting closer to time. You talk a lot about flywheels and kind of building 
momentum thoughts while you have this audience here? Any other ideas or concepts you want to get out there? Yeah, I'll just conclude with this because we didn't talk a lot about organizational flow and mm. creating an environment of smooth workflows. And I would stress that point by saying that this book is an amalgamation of the practice of organizational health. Everybody gets along, everybody trusts each other, and the world of continuous improvement, aka lean, which has gotten a terrible rap in many parts of your business. And what I'm saying is that we need to bring those two practices together because continuous improvement is not about cutting teams and getting as quote unquote lean as possible. Continuous improvement right. is about having a maniacal focus on your customer, respecting right. your people, and identifying and minimizing waste wherever you see it. And that's what I focus on in this book is the marriage between organizational health and continuous improvement. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I'm a big fan of value stream thinking and just trying to identify what exactly are you making and the idea of, you know, actually adding value to a process as opposed right. to, you know, non-business value. I did enjoy the brief tirade against meetings that was built into the conversation about waste. There are a lot of things that almost masquerade as productivity that you do need to be on guard about. It's a fun read in that respect. The other thing about lean is, you know, everyone loves agile as it relates to everything. Agile is based on lean thinking uh, as well. It is something increasingly in learning contexts I am seeing more folks apply Lean Six Sigma thinking value stream analysis to higher ed, to other models. Final thoughts here, Andy, again, thank you so much for joining. The name of the podcast is The Balancing Act. The name of the new book is The Balanced Business. You can find all the information about Andy in the show notes. Any parting thoughts as we conclude here? Everything is at andrewtempty.com. My last name doesn't have a P in it, so you won't find it if you put a P in my last name. Nice. You might be <laughs> tempted to put a P in there, but don't do it. That's it's right. It's Andy Tempty, T-E-M-T-E. Andy, always a pleasure. Thanks so much for joining me on today's show. Thank you, Mike. And for our listeners, hopefully you enjoyed what you heard. If you did, please subscribe, tell your friends, do all the great things. We'll be back again soon. This is Trending in Education. <laughs>